Fly Trap Coalition podcast, where we rediscover what it means to be human through interesting and insightful conversations on the topics of athletic performance, nutrition, holistic health, philosophy, psychology, mindfulness, endurance sports, and so much more. If you're listening to this, then you've been chosen. And I only have one thing to say to you. Welcome to the Coalition. Coalition, what is up? Hope you guys are well. Strap in and get ready for episode 15 of the Flytrap Coalition podcast. It was my honor to sit down with a couple of local St. Louis stallions, Travis Nissenbaum and Chris Stein, who I've affectionately dubbed as the Ultra Buds. These guys are best friends that absolutely love to crush ultra marathons, Spartan races, half Ironman races, and more. But these guys are not only great athletes, they are best buds and do an amazing job of describing how endurance races have led them on some epic adventures and also seen them through some of their darkest times. And they do it all together, mostly laughing and having an absolute blast regardless of the result. But don't get it twisted. These guys can play. I had an absolute blast recording with these two. We laughed. We talked about some emotional times in their lives. And I know you guys are going to enjoy this one from start to finish. Special shout out to Travis and his wife, Kim, for letting us record at their lovely house in U-City. Got to meet their two rescue dogs, Boss and Millie. Hashtag adopt, don't shop. Kim, Travis, appreciate it. Coalition, without further ado, I'm honored and privileged to bring you my conversation with Travis Nissenbaum and Chris Stein. Travis Nissenbaum, Chris Stein, welcome to the coalition. Thanks, dude. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, I appreciate it. Travis, appreciate the hospitality and getting to meet your awesome dogs and cool house in U City. Of course. Yeah. Hopefully, the dogs uh, make some cameos at some point. Definitely. Fellas, I appreciate it. I, I've known both of you guys a little bit, kind of on and off. Travis, I think you and I met. I don't know if you recall or not. I'm sure it was a really important moment in your life when we met, but uh, I think it was like a fun run with Maher at Castlewood like two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. We did uh, the Skippo course. We were helping uh, we were helping Taylor get ready for the Skippo and we had a good little group that day. That's right. I think we were going to do six and then you guys were like, should we just do another one? And it turned into 12. Yep. Yep. Casual <laughs> half marathon on Saturday. <laughs> yeah. And then Chris, we met once at like a fun Arch City Run Club fun run down around Francis Park, I think around Christmas time. Yeah. We just briefly met. Yeah. The Christmas light run. That's it. I think it was that's the last it. time my wife ran. Yeah. You said she's uh, expecting. Hopefully that's that, yes. that, was out, that was out in the public. I didn't just. I didn't just expose Oh, that. yeah, yeah. Like no, you totally dropped a bomb. He's in a lot of trouble. Yes. You're going to have to edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. No, but I appreciate it. You guys are, uh, you know, I was going through the resumes on Ultra ultra Sign-Up and whatnot, and between the two of you guys, I mean, a bunch of Ultra Marathons, Half Ironman, Spartan Races, CrossFit, you guys are super active. And one of the cool things about you guys is that you do so many races and so much training together. And I thought maybe we could start just kind of kick this thing off with one that you guys just recently did called the three-legged monster. It seemed like that concept was really cool. And tell us what was the three-legged monster and what made you guys decide to get involved there? Ryan Maher was uh, one of the race directors and, you know, we're both really close with him. And we were at the end of the school year last year, we were 
trying to put together, you know, something that we could both do because we like to do these, these big ridiculous races and Maher let us know about it. And I, I don't think we hesitated to sign up. We were one of the first groups to sign up for that. Yeah. I mean, it was just a really cool concept. It's not like, it's honestly not like any race that we've done before. And Chris is a really strong rider and I like to run. So it kind of played to both of our strengths and, uh, it just gave us a excuse to go down to Mark Twain national forest and spend a weekend down there. How did it actually work? Cause there were three different components to it, right? Yeah. So it started each partner, Travis did the run leg and I did the bike leg and we started at the exact same time. I believe the run leg was almost 13 miles yep. and the bike was about 31 miles. And then you couldn't go to the, the canoe until both partners had finished their leg. Some teams had really strong riders and then there was somebody, you know, they were waiting for a long time or vice versa, but they did a really good job with the distances. I think, you know, they have a few tweaks to make, but for the most part, it was pretty comparable between the run and the ride. So we only finished about 20 minutes apart. We were able to time it up really well. And I remember like looking down at my watch going, should I make a push here? And it was kind of like, well, Chris is going to have to be going like 20 miles an hour <laughs> for us to be in at the same time. Which I was not. <laughs> and so, you know, it was kind of nice. We, we got in, we had an opportunity to like, you know, drink a little bit and get some food and then uh, change shoes and different things. And then we got on the canoe together and got to uh, spend the day out on the river, which honestly, like looking back on it, that was probably the highlight of the race for a variety of reasons. One, you know, it's cool. You've done something and then you get to hang out with your partner for 11 mile canoe and it's really pretty water. But I mean, I think the highlight of the race <laughs> was navigating through all the partiers. It was the last, uh, <laughs> it was the last weekend of summer and it was wild down there. It's like I, the bull float trip type of a oh, scenario. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, there were. 2000 floaters, yeah. two miles straight of drunken partiers that no we kidding. had to navigate this canoe through. I mean, it was, it was a trip though. It was yeah. a lot of fun. Did you at some point just kind of throw your hands up and think we're not going to fly? Cause I'm picturing you guys like racing down this river and then all of a sudden just getting stonewalled and trying to, <laughs> that's a pretty yeah. decent description of what happened. Yeah. I mean, like we turned a bin and it was like, holy shit. <laughs> Look at all these people out here. And it brought me back to being like 21. And I was like, how did I not think that this would be going on on this part of the river? But uh, that was honestly my favorite part. And I have to say, like, initially I was kind of nervous because like we're at this race and we were trying to make time. And it was early enough in the day, but it was like, these people have been partying for at least two or three hours. Like, what kind of experience are we going to get? And everybody was super cool, super cool, except yes. one group. One group was kind of jerks, but everybody else of the 2000, you know, 1,996 were awesome. Yeah. That's, that's, was it obvious that you guys were racing? Did you have numbers on anything like that? Or did they just think you guys were trying to just fly down this river? Like, was it, was it apparent that you were racing or were somehow, I think there were four boats ahead of us, three or four boats ahead of us. And I they got the message somehow. So by the time we got through, all these people knew that we were racing. And a lot of times they were moving their boats out of the way. This one group of guys that we thought was actually going to try to mess with us, they saved us from flipping over a log. 
because we didn't know it was there. So they actually, they're sitting there, large gentlemen drinking beers in the middle of the river, hands up. And I just hear Travis in the front groan. He's like, oh God. And then we get up to these guys and they're like, hey boys, we don't want you to flip over. And they moved our canoe around the tree stump and said, good luck guys. I was like, that's awesome. That's cool. And it's kind of crazy because the guy who won, I don't know. I know Gary, I don't know his partner's name, but Gary was telling me that they were going through the river and someone was just like, why are you guys going so fast? And, uh, he was like, Oh, we're in a race. And he said after that point, like somehow it just spread, you know, and that people would, if you were in a canoe and you're trying, kind of trying to book it and didn't have, you know, beers in your hand, they were like, Oh, you must be part of the right. Cause I mean, everybody would ask like, man, you guys are in a hurry. <laughs> are you in a race? And we'd be like, yeah. And they'd be like, oh, right on. Go get it. <laughs> that is Actually, awesome. The, uh, the boat, we we thought we were, you know, kind of, we got through and we thought it was smooth sailing. Somehow the boat behind us caught us and we were kind of floating next to him a while. And it was a husband and wife. And we were just chatting back and forth. And she's like, I got jello shots. We did not get offered any jello shots, <laughs> no. but she definitely got offered the jello shots. <laughs> that is awesome. What was the canoeing like? I mean, I've done some canoeing just messing around like at somebody's lake house or something, but not competitively. Like what was that like? Was it pretty sweet? Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Like, I mean, I guess honestly, I've never really done it where I'm like, oh man, I've got to, you know, make a really good time here, really make a big push. But um, yeah, it was awesome. It's never anything I've done in a race before. So it was just kind of cool to do something different. I think that's what was really like awesome about this race. Not only was it fun getting the surprise of seeing all the partiers and just seeing it in its first year and all that, but like the canoe is something totally different. Yeah. yeah. I love the idea of that, that race this is just the first one. Yeah. Yeah. That's they awesome. did a really good job too. Um, the gentleman that put it on, he said it was his first race that he's ever been race director of and he he did a really good job man that's a heck of a first race to try to put on with all those moving pieces and three different yeah. sports and that's pretty cool the cycling aspect of it was that mountain biking or road biking mountain biking okay so like a yeah. single track technical. it was um it started off with about seven miles of um jeep road and then it went into 13 miles of single track and then it dumped you back out onto the jeep road for the finish and it's got everything, which is what makes it such a great ride. It's got flowy trail. It's got rock gardens. You know, you go through miles of pine trees. It's just a, it's a beautiful ride. So even when you're hammering every once in a while, you take a look up and you're like, yep, this is what I'm doing with my weekend. That's pretty sweet, man. Yeah. What was, uh, what's your, what's your background in Chris? What's your background in mountain biking? I should have said this at the beginning for anyone listening. I am just an average Joe. I'm actually nothing very special. I just like to do average a lot of Joe stuff with an eight, with an eight pack. <laughs> I think you're special. <laughs> Thanks. That's why I keep you around. <laughs> um, I mean, I got into it probably 10, 15 years ago. Did a, a lot of riding. There's a, a really neat race on the same track. It's called the BT Epic. It's a, they advertise it as, I think they say on their website, anywhere from 30 to 50 mile bike race. They don't tell you what the course is. And I've done that a few times. So I've been on, on that track before, which made, made it even more fun. Cause I kind of knew what to expect. So, you know, I've done all the, you know, the rides around here and mountain bike racing as well. Um, but I hadn't done that in a few years. This is the first mountain bike race in about six years. 
how how would you describe that course to that track so like is could a beginner do that do you need to be kind of seasoned what, you know what type of person do you think should and shouldn't be riding that that race actually you know what with any of this kind of stuff beginners can do all of it it's just kind of what you put your mind to is it going to be rough the first time absolutely but there were a lot of beginners that did this race which was a really cool part of it you had more seasoned athletes racing it, but then you also had first timers on the bike and trail running. So everyone doing it together, which is what made that three-legged monster such a really cool experience. Watching these people finish, getting off a bike, having ridden 30 miles for the first time on a mountain bike was pretty impressive. I think that's one of the best parts of all these races is like, you don't have to, for most of the stuff we all do, you don't have to qualify. You don't have to be elite. You know, it's, it's accessible to everybody, which is really cool. Um, how did you find the running portion of the race, Trev? It was uh, a really pretty section of the OT. I hadn't done that part before. Last year, we, we tried to do 107 on the OT and only one of us made it, but that was the finishing section. And it's a really pretty section. It did feel like you went uphill the whole time, which I think was a theme in the race. Yes. Obviously, yeah. Obviously, we didn't, but it just felt like we were uphill the whole time. But there was a really cool river crossing, um, some beautiful bluffs, big rocks, a lot of little caves you could kind of see right off the trail. And then there was a view of like the Huzah Valley, probably at about mile eight. That was just awesome. Like it would have been a really cool backpack spot. But same thing, like at the beginning, I think there were 30 teams, so 30 runners. And there were a lot of people who, you know, you see at races and it's like, obviously they're going to race this and run it pretty hard. But there were a ton of people who said, you know, hey, this is my first trail race. It's definitely trial by fire. Like there's a lot more forgiving 13 mile trails that you could do in the area. This was a tough one to say, hey, this is my first trail race. But it was probably really rewarding because it was an awesome stretch of the trail. You know, it was a lot of fun and it was really pretty and it was tough. And so, you know, you finish that and you're like, Hey, I just did this really tough 13 mile trail race. What else is out there? You know, what else can I put my mind to? Yep. For sure. Is there anything now that you guys have done that race? Cause it's a pretty interesting race being that you'd go from one sport to the other, to the other. Is there anything you guys would do different uh, to, first of all, where did you finish? And then is there anything else now that you've done that race that you would change if you guys did it again next year? I th think we ended up fifth. Yeah. Yeah. Train, uh, change as far as training, you mean? Well, yeah, training and maybe just even the way you approach the race, like, oh, I didn't have to run as hard or, you know, when we canoe next time, if we both did this, we might've done better, you know, just anything that you've, you picked up that maybe you could sharpen the edges a little bit if you did it again. <laughs> so actually on the bike, this is kind of funny. So as I drove down that morning, Travis camped the night uh, before and I woke my wife up to let her know that I was leaving. It was about five in the morning and everything's packed up and she looks at me and she goes, be careful. You can't hold a baby if you're in the hospital. <laughs> so as soon as I got onto the single track, I start off cause I was super happy and I'm just hammering away. And then I hit the first like rock garden and I'm like, God damn it. You can't hold a baby if you're in the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> it's like four miles. That's all I could think of. And I couldn't get it out of my head. But then luckily, you know, my mind wandered and yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah. So I'll hammer a little harder in the single track next time. <laughs> um, that's awesome. 
I don't know. I would, I would say like maybe if we did it again, we would go out in canoe and ideally we would go out on a Saturday when yeah. the river's going to be packed and just, <laughs> you know, hopefully we find some people we met this past time. And it's like, Hey, we're training for the race in a few weeks, you know? Um, but other than that, no, I mean, one thing that was really cool was we obviously went in and we knew that we wanted to do well, but I think everybody was there to just kind of have a good time with it. So not that it wasn't competitive. Uh, it definitely was, but it just had a really laid back vibe to it. And I, that was something that I thought was really cool. You know, I, I enjoyed that piece of it. Yeah. And obviously the after race barbecue, that's what you're there for. Pretty yeah. solid. <laughs> oh, food was good. Yes. Beer yeah. was good. Food, no, food never tastes better than after a long race oh, or a hard no. effort. It's just, it's the best. I remember getting two large Papa John pizzas after my first ultra. <laughs> yeah. I just went to town and such a good feeling. Guilt-free. <laughs> yeah, 100%. What did you end up picking up from Schnucks on the way back? I never asked you. Oh, I got um, a Coca-Cola and I got two bags of peanut M&Ms. <laughs> And for some reason, I bought a jar of pickles. <laughs> so I was driving down 44, drinking Coca-Cola and eating pickles. And I hate pickles, but I was pounding pickles on the way home. Isn't it funny how after these races, like the stuff that you do decide to eat, even during the races, the stuff that sounds good versus the stuff that doesn't sound good. It's kind of an ultra thing, I guess, but it's just certain things sound good and certain things don't. I mean, I remember on some long cycling efforts, even just on Saturdays and stuff, go do like a 50 or 60 mile ride, eating a bag of chips and drinking a Pepsi on the side of a gas station is like you're in heaven. You just oh, feel yeah. amazing. Yeah. You know? It's just so funny what your body craves. Like I, I run on pickle juice in the summer, but I hate pickles. If you put pickles on my hamburger, like it's just disgusting to me, but you know, it's 90 degrees and humid outside. Pickle juice sounds fantastic. Nice. Nice. One of the cool things about this race, obviously is that you guys did it together and uh, I'd love to maybe just trace back through your guys' journey. Cause you guys are, you guys are best buds and, and race together and crew each other. And it's, it's really cool to see when did all this start with you guys? I mean, did you guys grow up together? Did you guys meet later in life? How did this whole, this whole adventure begin? It, it's totally random. Um, I, when I graduated school, I got this job and I was selling steel and it's about as interesting as it sounds. We, <laughs> we sold odd shaped steel. If you're ever in the market for odd shaped steel, Louisiana steel makes odd shaped steel. So I did that. I was miserable. Um, it was just, a. I sat at my desk 10 hours a day and I remember like, I obviously liked outdoor stuff, but especially when you're sitting at a desk looking at a computer screen all day, you know, you'd look out the window and be like, ah, my God, every minute goes by so slow. I'd do anything to go outside. And so I knew I needed to do something different. And that summer I went back to school to be a teacher. So I was at UMSL and um, they placed me in Chris's classroom at Gateway Tech. When I got there the first day, he definitely had no idea that <laughs> I was going to be there. No, this dude just randomly walks in. I'm like, hey, can, can I help you? Travis goes, I'm your student teacher. It's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, so we worked together that year and um, we both had a common interest in like fitness and Chris was getting ready for a bunch of triathlons. If you want to kind of talk about that. Oh yeah. That was the, the, I go through phases like that and that was my triathlon phase. And then pretty soon after we started working together, I mean, we gelled pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, just on, on everything. And then we started working out together. He started coming to the gym that I went to. And then that summer we started racing triathlons together. Like our first, like I was doing sprint tries and, um, Olympic distance. And then we started racing triathlons together that summer. So probably about six months after we met is when we first started racing together. I think the first race we did was Milstadt, the biathlon. Yeah, that's right. And I don't know if they still do that race, but it was a lot of fun the year that we did it. It was a five mile, five mile run, I think, maybe a 10K and then like a 25 mile bike ride. But it was, it's a tough, like it's a really tough bike ride. It's a lot of hills, super fast going down, but like horrible going up. Yeah. (laughs) And um, yeah, we had a good time. Chris, you know, was pretty dead set on wanting to do a half Ironman. And he was like, Hey, would you want to do a half Ironman? I said, sure. I had a good time at Millstadt. Like, why not? You know? Right. And, and that was really, I mean, really that's how it started. You know, so were you pretty active too, Travis, when you guys met or did Chris kind of pull you, pull you into that type of a lifestyle or were you already kind of doing your own thing? I think like just about everybody, you know, I'd finished up college and like right away when I finished up college, I did some traveling and I was doing a bunch of hiking and stuff. And then it was like, okay, I need to kind of get back into shape. Like I was at the beginning of college versus at the end. So I was really doing a lot of working out, but like meeting Chris, that definitely helped push it along further. You know, like I would have never, I don't know, I guess I wouldn't say I wouldn't have never, but at the time I like had no idea really what a triathlon was. You know, I don't, I don't think I would ever, seeked it out. But as soon as I saw it, I was like, Oh, this is awesome. Always good to have like something to train for. Cause it kind of keeps you focused on what you want to do. And yeah, it was, just, it was just, it was a really neat experience. Cause I guess I thought, you know, once you get done playing like competitive sports, like, well, what else do you really train for? You know, what, what do you do? How do you stay in shape? And so it's like, you go to the gym, but you don't really ever get that competition level. And, uh, so that I just loved that, you know, right away, like being able to start doing that again at 24, I was like, Holy cow, this is just awesome. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So you guys, you guys line up this half Ironman. Did you, where, where was the race? And then what happens from there? You guys decide, all right, let's do this. And then what was the training plan? Like, what does life look like from, uh, from the time you sign up till, till race day? I think we, we made the decision in December. I remember signing up right around Christmas. So it gave us about six months to train. Mm -hmm. And for both of us, that was the longest distance. And it was just kind of, you know, research and dumb luck our way into things. And it was the first one. And I, I don't think either of us really shy away from doing any of that. So it was a lot of experimentation and building that base. That that's a, that's a big part of it is building the base to be able to do, do it well, putting the time in the bike, running in the pool. And it was, it was a lot of training. I would say for that race, that's the most dedicated training I've ever done for anything to the point, And I think Travis is in the same boat to the point after the race, we both got really burned out. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like I didn't really look up a training plan. I just kind of was like, okay, how long do I think this race is going to take me? How long do I think each of these things would do? I couldn't, I couldn't swim. Like I could swim in a pool to not drown. Um, but that was about the extent of my swimming. Um, so I would swim an hour a day, twice a week. And then, um, I figured the bike would take me about three hours. So I would go out and do like an hour and a half to two hour ride twice a week. 
And then I figured the run would take maybe between an hour 40 and two hours and it ended up taking a lot longer than that. Cause I was in pretty rough shape by the time the run came. So I'd go out and I'd run about an hour, hour and 15. And then we would do weights one day and then we would rest. So it was kind of like an eight day block. When I say once a week, it was really like a week plus one day, but yeah, it was really dedicated training. It was, it was pretty intense. I think it was especially intense learning how to swim, you know, cause I yeah. like, yeah, I knew how to ride a bike. I knew how to run, but I definitely did not know how to swim. And after I finished up, it was weird. I think we both had that feeling like, holy cow, how are we not more sore? <laughs> and how are we not more beat up? And that was probably a typical rookie mistake in an endurance athlete. Like just cause your body doesn't, I guess, physically feel bad doesn't mean that your body's recovered. So I tore my calf like maybe three days afterwards because I was playing in a pickup basketball game. <laughs> three days after the Ironman? Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> so you, you, I mean, you can tell. I, I think I was 24 when I did that. Because <laughs> that was probably not like a real well-thought-out idea. And it was kind of funny because I was coaching basketball at the time, so I was playing with the kids, and I just – stopped uh, to cut and like I didn't do anything fancy and I felt a pop and I was like oh man this is bad so I limped off the court and a couple of kids were like you know coach you okay and I was like oh yeah yeah, yeah I'm fine I'm fine and I was like man this is this is what happens when you start to get a little bit older you know your body doesn't recover well and then you're lying to teenagers about what kind of shape you're in and- <laughs> man yeah you, that, you're that, that's so true though man you don't realize like how much damage some of these things these races do have on the body until something like that happens I mean that was that was an obviously an Ironman injury not a basketball injury right I mean yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I always just figured that was like, that was my body's way of saying, Hey, you know, I'm tired. You need to let me recover a little bit longer. So where was the actual, uh, Ironman? Was it local here in St. Louis or was it? It was in Kansas. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It was just outside of KU's campus. And did you guys do the race? I know you're both in the same race, but did you run it together? Or did you guys each do your own race? We were in different waves because okay. there's just so many people doing those races. They, they start you in waves based on your age. How tough is a half Ironman? I mean, obviously that was, that was quite a while ago, I guess, right? So, I mean, we're, I think it was eight or nine years ago. Yeah, I think it would have been 2014. Okay. So, maybe maybe 2013. I honestly can't remember. Yeah, it was but a it long was, time ago. Yeah, 13 or 14. I mean, if you compare that to some of the ultra efforts you guys do now, I mean, were you just absolutely dying to get to the finish line or did you guys feel like it was, I mean, how does it compare with some of the stuff that you've done recently in terms of just intensity and difficulty? We've talked about it. Like we've both said, you know, what would it be like to go do a half Ironman, you know, now kind of knowing what we know. I think we're a lot better at managing expectations now. Like we know our perceived effort. We know what we're capable of. Mm -hmm. And I think back then it was still kind of experimental. I honestly think we should, we could go out now with a little less training and it would be a lot, we'd be a lot easier on our bodies because we were, we were still both kind of feeling our way through that. Yeah. I mean, there was just so much stuff I didn't know. Like I remember we did that Olympic distance with Tommy. Was that a month before the half Ironman where we were at Carlisle Lake? And I cramped up really bad and I, um, then took a bunch of goos and I got really bad goo belly. Cause I was like, Oh, I've got a cramp. Like I should probably take four of these and I didn't wash them down with anything. So, you know, that was like a rookie mistake. And then it was like an Ironman. I was like, well, I don't really want that to happen again. So I wonder how long I can go without 
taking goos and Gatorades and, you know, all this other stuff. So then like the last probably five or six miles of the run were just really painful because I was so behind, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just, it's hard. It's hard to compare it. it at the time. I mean, it was super painful, you know, it really was, but yeah. I think it's something that anyone could do, you know, um, yeah. I really do. Like it's, it's a 12 hour cutoff. And, um, I think the most impressive thing we saw that weekend is how many old people do them. Yes. And it was very impressive to see that. Yeah. Like, I mean, old people hammering it. As yeah. Well. Yeah. There were guys in their sixties, seventies. I think there was a finisher in his late eighties. Wow. I think I'm pretty sure he was in his late eighties and it was like by the run. I mean, was he running real fast? No, but he was still holding like an 11 or 12 minute mile. And I was like, mm-hmm. man, that is like, that is impressive. You know, I, you see that you're like, man, that's way more impressive than what I just did. This guy's out here just killing it. He's in his eighties. Yeah. That's you kind of, Travis, you mentioned something earlier about kind of you come out of college or high school and you feel like your competitive days are over. And I think that's one of the great things about ultra and endurance sports is you can compete. I mean, into your eighties. Right. And I mean, and, and guys like us, we we're talking earlier, I think we're all between what, maybe 36 and 42 ish. I'm a little younger than that. <laughs> I am old, yes. <laughs> but I mean, these are these are like prime years, right? I mean, 30s and 40s are like prime. You know, that was one of the cool things when I got into looking into ultra was the people winning were like, you know, 36, 42, 43, and you go, holy shit, I can like, I can be elite in this sport. You know, it's not unreasonable to think that you can actually compete and win big races, national races, which I think is one of the cool things, which kind of leads me into my question, I guess, is just kind of what is it about these types of adventures and these races for you guys that that attracts you to them? Because obviously you get to this point in life, you don't have to do this, right? I mean, you can just, you can sit on the couch or you can go find some other hobby. This is not something that's expected or required in society, but what is it about these races and these efforts that really gets you guys fired up and gets you guys interested for me it is it's like being a little kid it is adult recess i mean that's a hundred percent true every time i go out there like even if there's been a couple races where i've been in a lot of pain like when i did chub a couple years ago i was in a lot of pain you're out there, you know, running in the woods and you just can't beat it. So for me, that's exactly what it is. When I sign up for these or just when I go, you know, for a run or we go for a bike ride, it is just adult recess. Yeah. I think that's spot on, man. I've even gone out on some long bike rides just on a Saturday and just the feeling of just like riding your bike, like a little kid. And you know, you're, you're riding away from your house. You're not really going to look at your cell phone unless there's an emergency. And there's a sense of freedom in that, that is really hard to find in the, you know, quote unquote adult world. Uh, Trav, what's, what's your take on it? Yeah. I mean, I would agree with that too. You know, um, it's really nice. Like we're so hyper-connected and it's like when I go out for a run, you know, yeah, I have my phone, but I put it on airplane mode because whatever it is, I've just kind of feel like it can wait, you know? So if something I have it, you know, in case of emergency, but, um, it's nice just getting that disconnected time and kind of being outside and, I don't know, just reconnecting with your own thoughts, getting some time away from like just the rat race of like, oh, I got to pay a bill. I've got to mow the lawn when I get home. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. You know, like my grandpa would always be like, why would you go do something like that? But I think there was just certain things that he had growing up that kind of like hardened him a little bit. You know, he grew up during the depression. He's a World War II vet. And honestly, like we're a lot more 
cushioned and like, you know, life's a lot easier now. And so it's kind of nice to just go out there and be like, okay, I can do this stuff. Like I, I am capable of doing a lot of these things that are hard because we have so much comfort. You know, we talked about this at three-legged monster, like we have so much comfort and it's kind of nice to be like, Hey, I can get out here. I can camp when it's hot outside. I can run this half marathon on a tough trail when it's super hot and I am tough and I can do these things. Yeah. It, and we talked about this as well. It gives you a lot of perspective. Like when we did the race last week, we were going into the start of a new school year, which is always a very stressful situation. But when we finished the race, we both just kind of said, well, this is going to make the first week of school very easy you yeah. know, because you spend, I mean, we were out there for seven and a half hours and you know, it's painful and it was tough, but we were doing it to ourselves and you know, it just kind of takes the edge off of everything else. You know, whatever's coming down the pike, whatever's in the future, whatever happened in the past for that seven hours, you get to kind of live in the moment and live in the woods. And there is something about being outside too in, the, in those types of elements that's just different than being in a gym or being in any type of an indoor sport and playing basketball or there's something about being outside and breathing in the fresh air and running in the woods and, and the things you see out there that just does something to your body. I, I don't know if I can necessarily explain it, but for me, and I think you guys probably feel the same way, the elements and the nature aspect of these races is probably you know, at least half as cool as the, the races themselves. Right. I mean, it's a big, a big part of it. It's a big part of trail culture, I think too. Uh, do you guys get that same feel? Like it's the, it's, it's being outside, being in nature and kind of reconnects you to the real world and gets you out a little bit. Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent. Um, and we talk about this all the time. Missouri is just like a gem. It really is. Um, Shh, don't tell the rest of the country. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it's awesome out there. Like, it's just kind of nice being able to see all this cool stuff in your backyard. I mean, it's not that you don't know it's there. It's like we, we, everybody kind of grows up knowing our state's got like two thirds of the land covered in state or national forest, but it's just cool going out and seeing it, you know, and be like, Holy cow, this, this is really, really neat. It is interesting that that doesn't get brought to the forefront more. I mean, I grew up in St. Louis my whole life and it wasn't until Ryan Maher took me out for my first trail run in 2019 that I realized how accessible and how awesome these trails are. You know, we went to the double, to the Chubb trail and you know, it was 20 minutes from my house and I'm like, man, I didn't never knew this was here, you know, cause you hear about trail running and you hear about hiking, but unless you've actually done it or somebody's taking the time to show you the trails and how to get to them and how to, you just think it's some abstract thing that other people do. And it's like, once you get shown, you know, you kind of, they put the key in and open the door. It's a whole new world. It's a really a shame that more people don't get exposed to this kind of stuff because it is really easy and it's free and it's fun. And you know, it's, it's kind of a shame that that's not promoted more. I mean, you mentioned that fact about two thirds of Missouri being covered in national forest. I didn't even know that. I mean, that's pretty sweet because we get dogged a lot as Missouri and St. Louis, you know, we're kind of the flyover state and yeah, we go out west every summer and everyone will be like, oh man, like it's so flat there. And I'm like, it's really not that flat. You know, I mean, it, we don't have 5,000 foot mountains, but it's not very flat. You know, it's a great place to train. I think our, our summer weather and all of our elements make it maybe the worst place in the world to train. But yeah, I mean, that part is really cool. There is like, I, I can say one thing that w we did right after Ironman that just popped into my brain was, uh, we did the Skippo 20 K. Yeah. Yep. Um, so after my calf got better, I think we did just kind of do it on a whim if I remember correctly. Yeah. 
and we did the 20 K it was like a little under a half marathon. And I don't, I can't say for Chris, but for me, that was my first trail run and it beat me up really bad, but I was like, this is awesome. This is so fun. Yeah. It's not like, it's not like running on the road cause you can run the same t- trail 20 times and it's different every single time, which is, you know, even if you, you know, everyone's got their like home course. Yeah. You know, they're the trail that they like to run or it's most accessible, but depending upon the weather and you know, how much washout there is, it's those trails are different every time you do it. So it's like a different adventure every time you go out there. Yeah. hundred percent. It's trail running so fun because you have to pay attention where your, where your feet are landing. You're kind of doing lateral jumps and jumping rocks. And it's a lot different than just a like road run, you know? Um, I'd love to jump to the OHT if you guys don't mind, because I know that's a run that you guys did together, I think along with Maher, right? Um, And to me, that's not, it was funny, Maher pinged me earlier, one of the the best dudes ever. And he pinged me earlier and said, hey, I heard you having Travis and Chris recording. I was like, yeah, it's going to be awesome. And he sent me a video from when you guys did that (laughs) OHT together. uh, It was super fun to watch, man. But the big thing I got from that was just the unity that you guys had. I mean, every time so Ryan was recording every mile and every time I heard Chris go still here yes. and you guys were all laughing and carrying on and like, I don't want to get into it too much. I'll let you guys talk about it, but that seemed like a really special run for you guys. For me, that was the most fun I have ever had racing my entire life. And for, for many reasons, um, I'll get into the personal stuff and I'll let Trav tell some of the funny stories. Cause he has a phenomenal story about a park <laughs> ranger. Yeah. <laughs> We, we signed up for it and Ryan was going to go down there. And at first, you know, we were all just going to kind of run it. Um, I, I had a time goal. Travis had been training really hard and Ryan was getting ready for, was he getting ready for a hundred miler? I think Ryan had just finished black Canyon a hundred K. I think he was just coming off it. Like it was maybe three weeks past it or something like that. And he was just going to come down and hang with us. It was going to be like a guy's weekend. And then on a whim, he was like, Hey, my coach said, I'm in, I'm good to go for this race. He's like, let's jump, you know, I'm going to jump in if that's cool with you guys. We're like, yeah, why not? You know, if you're coming down, you might as well. Yeah. And at first, I I don't know if we had planned to run together, but then when we all got together that Friday night and we were driving down, Travis had had a rough week and it was immediately turning into, to a good bro weekend. And we got down there we had a, a little cabin right in like 30 paces from the start line and we're amp- unpacking our, our stuff. And my wife called and told me that my grandfather had died. So it's nine o'clock the night before the race. And, you know, obviously that is a shock to the system. So, but I honestly could not have been in a better place because I immediately got two hugs from two guys that tower over me wake up the next morning and we all decide that we're going to run this together and they're going to, you know, pull me along to my time goal. So for the entire 32 miles, it was the best six hours of my life. Just us. What you saw in the video is exactly what that was like for 32 miles, just running and joking. Um, I had a little breakdown at mile 27. It all finally hit me. And Travis was had a breakneck pace that we were keeping up with to hit that time goal. And it all kind of hit me at mile 27 and I got really quiet and Ryan was in the middle. And then all of a sudden in his, um, deep fatherly voice, he calls me critter. It's my childhood nickname. He goes, 
How you doing back there, critter? <laughs> and I had, you know, had tears built up and I go, it's, it's starting to hit me. And he kind of drops back. He puts his arm on me. He goes, you got 30, you got one minute and get it out. And then we're going to bring it on home. So I did, you know, I got all snot nosed and got some tears in my eyes and then cleared it up and brought it on home. And that was wow. literally the, the most fun I have ever had racing. Man, that's amazing. Yeah, I would agree with that. Like that was the most fun race I've ever done. And so, you know, leading up to that race, I had been training really hard. And then, and I, I talked to my wife last night, so I know that she doesn't mind that I share this, but my brother-in-law, um, died from an overdose, like, uh, probably three days before the race hit. And so, you know, I, I remember texting Ryan and Chris and just saying, yeah, I don't know. I don't think I can do it. It's going to depend on the funeral. Well, the funeral was Friday in the morning and, um, you know, my in-laws would not have been cool if it was like, yeah, he's dipping out, you know, it was obviously really intense. And Kim was like, you know, you've been training hard for this. Like you don't need to be here. You've done enough. So, you know, after, I mean, probably a thousand conversations with her, she was like, just go. Um, she's like, literally, you know, give Chris a bag and, um, he'll come pick you up. And I don't remember what excuse she made up, but he had the, he had my bag in the car and we went to this, um, commuter lot at 44 and 141 and I changed and from like a you know suit like funeral and everything and wow Ryan showed up and uh you know on the ride down these guys were there for me because it had been like a really intense few days and I think in the car we just kind of talked about it and it was like you know Chris had a time goal I think I was just like yeah we'll see what see what you know happens tomorrow and Ryan was kind of like yeah I'm just doing it for fun and so yeah, the next day, uh, I think we just woke up and we we're like, you know, fuck it, let's do it together. Like, w you know, why? Who cares? You know, if it takes us ten hours, it takes us ten hours. If it, you know, we hit our time goal, great. But if we're not going to hit it, at least we don't hit it all together. And wow. um, it was thirty-two miles of dick and fart jokes, which is exactly <laughs> what I needed. And um, yeah. <laughs> literally yeah. <laughs> yeah that's no joke yeah um it's probably a good thing that ryan didn't record the whole thing because um, right. <laughs> it might be in some trouble but yeah it oh was it was honestly one of the most memorable races i've ever done and just i think one thing that's really crazy is the fact that the three of us were running it together that was one thing we talked about on the way back was just kind of bizarre because ryan and chris were friends from college when I started doing a lot more running, Chris was living in Cleveland. And so he said, Oh, this guy I went to college with, you know, he's, he's really like a strong ultra runner. Um, when I get back, I'll, you know, link you guys up. And so one random day, um, I was out at zombie trail and I, it was freezing. I was by myself and there was no one else out there. And I see these two guys running up the ridge from me. We, we were going opposite direction. So I knew eventually I would hit them. And then when I did, one of the guys, his name's Baca. He happened to work with Kim when Kim was in high school. That's my wife. And, um, he, he was like, Hey, you know, I'd met him at one, the two trail races I had done. And he was like, Hey, do you want to, you know, jump in with us? I said, yeah, sure. So we're running along and, you know, Ryan says, Hey, uh, you got any races that you got coming up? And I said, Oh yeah, I'm doing, 
this and this. And I don't remember what the, what, which ones they were at the time, but he, I said, Oh, I'm doing double chub. And he said, Oh, cool. Me too. I'm really pumped for double chub. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. My buddy is coming in town from Cleveland to, uh, to do his first ultra. And he said, Oh, no kidding, man. Yeah. One of my buddies is coming in from Cleveland to do my first, his first ultra. And I was like, no way. I was like, that's crazy. And he, I said, what's his name? And he was like, Chris Stein. I was like, Holy shit, man. That's no like, way. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how Ryan and I met. And, um, he took me across the railroad bridge down at zombie going to Chubb and, you know, we kind of clicked right off the bat. And then I think he sent Chris a selfie and Chris was like, "What <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, was the greatest picture ever. Yeah. <laughs> I get this random picture from Maher. And it says, what do you know about this dude? And then it's those two on the trail together. And I was like the Grinch. My my heart grew like 10 sizes. So I was like, oh, this is amazing. Oh, that's so cool, man. Yeah. So the fact that the race came, like we had this race together, I mean, just, it was really cool to be able to experience that. And we just had so much fun. I mean, like, I, I don't know. I, it was so laid back and like relaxed. Like there was... I mean, there were obviously low points, you know, it's like, it's an ultra, you know? Um, but it was so not, like, I ran out of water. I think Chris cramped, but like when Chris cramped, it was like, boom, we got goo, man here, take this goo. And then like, I ran out of water. Ryan was like, I've got an extra bottle. I'll grab my bot. Like, I don't know, man, this, the camaraderie with it. I, I, we've said like, if everybody should do this, like once a year, at least just once in their life, like get together with friends, throw, you know, maybe make a goal but just be out there to enjoy it. And what was so cool was, is like we had this goal and we didn't really think much of it until, I don't know, the last three or four miles. And it was like, oh yeah, we're, we're probably going to hit this as long as we keep a good pace. And then yeah. we hit the goal and it was just, it was the most fun day. And like, like Chris was saying, I mean, what the story, the story he's talking about <laughs> was, um, all of our bowels were moving a little crazy that morning. <laughs> well, Ryan and I pissed like 16 times. Yeah. Yeah. And so we hit this aid station and I had to go to, I had to take a dump. And <laughs> so I went right up and I said, you know, Hey, do you guys have a porta potty? And it happened to be a very attractive group of women who were <laughs> running this aid station. They're like, no, we don't have a porta potty, but you could, you know, go back there behind my car. Like I'm asking for my friend. Actually, it's not. It's not me. <laughs> and uh, they gave me toilet paper and everything. Oh <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> now, were they hip to this? Like, were they ultra people? Did oh, they get oh it? yeah, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. Like they didn't even bat an eye at it. Like there was, it wasn't like awkward. Like she's right. like, "Who is this weirdo asking me for toilet paper and wants to take a poop behind my car?" <laughs> So I'm back there and I, I, I mean, I had to go, I wasn't really paying much attention to my surroundings, but there were two park rangers just staring at me. <laughs> and so when I got up, I just see Ryan and Chris cracking up and I thought they were just cracking up because these women were right. <laughs> not that I think <laughs> they were laughing at the whole thing. Like, you know, cause the park rangers were just like, I think they said something to me like, was it, was it good? Was it worth it? <laughs> and I was like, sorry. And yeah. yeah, they were really cool about it. Oh my God. That's gold. That is freaking awesome, man. That's funny. I love, I love the, I mean, it's so amazing. That story of, of on the way down there, Travis, you're obviously in a bad place. 
you weren't in a bad place yet, Chris, but you see your buddy hurting and then you get the news and now you're both in this really bad place. I mean, the fact that you guys found each other in that moment and then had this race and had Ryan there too and decided in the morning, we're going to do this together. It's almost like the universe conspiring at the, you know, for you yeah. guys to be together, to do this run together and Kim having the, you know, telling you to go for it and, you know, like that's pretty that's pretty amazing stuff man i think that's once in a lifetime type stuff right there it's pretty it's pretty freaking powerful yeah it's not one of those things that can be replicated it's no. you know luckily i do have some very good friends and we like to do these things together and when things get bad i know i can rely on them and it's it wasn't the first time that i've ever relied on travis um that's that's why we do these things. We we've actually done quite a few races for the simple fact that we wanted to be together because things were going rough in life. Mm-hmm. Um, it started with Spartan races. Yeah. That's pretty much why we started doing those. We were yeah. living, you know, 700 miles apart and both of us were going through some rough stuff and we would meet up in the summertime and we would camp out and we would do those Spartan races and, you know, for that time and place, we were both in better places. That's kind of, it's kind of been the story of a lot of our races. Yeah. I think about it. Yeah. I mean that, that's like nailed ahead. And I was going to say, even just the fact that Ryan like recorded the video, I mean, there's some rough days. Like I'll go back and watch that video on YouTube because like that day was so awesome. It was such a special day. So to have that as a souvenir, but yeah, hundred percent. Like, so when, you know, Chris moved up to Cleveland, we would train together, hang out together all the time. And so, you know, obviously that's a big adjustment because it's not like, you know, you just moved to Springfield, Illinois or something. You can hang out every couple of weekends or something. So we wanted to kind of keep it going. So the first one we did was the Spartan race. And it was in Ohio, but it was on the West Virginia border. It was awesome. It was super beautiful. And um, kind of another reoccurring theme was is, you know, we saw it was 13 miles. I don't think either one of us trained for it specifically. And we were like, Oh yeah, it'll be fine. Well, (laughs) it was, it was really hard and we definitely weren't fine. Um, it ended up being, I don't know. I I don't think I, either one of us GPS did, but I I think think it it ended up being 16 miles. Yeah. I was going to say 16, 17, 18 miles, a lot of obstacles. And there were these crazy Hills where you're pretty much going up on all fours, you know? And there'd be these lines and, you know, you'd kind of get caught back on the line and, um, you know, having someone there to do that with like, Hey, I'm slipping. Chris would be behind me. I might be behind him and, you know, you hold the guy's foot. It's just a lot of fun. It's a good experience. And, uh, you know, it was one of those things I think like, I mean, at some point I think we both were like, Holy shit. Like we might've taken on a little bit more than we can (laughs) chew when we did this Spartan race. And then, you know, we finished and it's like, oh, this is awesome. And um, and then it was really cool because for that first one, too, both of our wives came up and they did the shorter one in the morning. Um, Which we didn't tell them we signed them up for. Yeah, they, we, <laughs> they, they found out that weekend and they had a great time. And we both did freak out a little bit because we we're like, man, if this long one was this hard, like the short one is probably a lot harder than what they're going to expect. So I did, I actually slept great the night before we raced and horrible the night before Kim and Kristen raced. Um, but they had, they, it was the same thing. They had a great time. They had a, a really, really good time and it ended up being a good weekend. And so we did that probably three or four times. We did one in Indiana. Uh, we met. I don't know, somewhere near the race. I can't remember where. And we camped out and um, it was a crazy storm that came in and we sat in a bar with 
bunch of smokers blowing smoke all over us. I don't know. It's kind of part of the adventure, you know. It's, I think one of the takeaways I'm getting from what you guys are saying is these hard times are being made uh, more palatable maybe through obviously being around each other, but not just being around each other, channeling that into some type of a physical activity, some type of an adventure. You know, we tend to, when we go on hard times, we tend to, to kind of hold ourselves up, isolate or go with our buddies, but go drink in bars and the problems get worse where that weekend you guys had that, that day on the OHT was probably worth $10,000 of therapy, you know? I mean, just flushing out the emotions, crying, sweating, running, struggling, you know? I can't I can't imagine how good that was, you know, for both of you guys, probably, even though even though it was a horrible time in your in both of your lives, like to, to just have an outlet to flush that stuff out, I think is something maybe people could listen to this and if you're struggling, grab somebody and plan a little adventure, you know? Make your own adventure. Go do 13 miles somewhere. I think that's pretty powerful stuff that you guys kind of put together there yeah i was just gonna say i mean the ten thousand dollars of therapy is like the perfect way to put it i mean yeah. despite the craziness that weekend you know like chris's grandfather passing away my brother-in-law having died a few days before that um unexpectedly like uh i got back and obviously my wife was in a, a really bad place but having that two days for me to do that I was able to be a much better husband to her. You know, I was able to support her in a much better way. And I think, I think truly like deep down, she knew that, you know, I think that's why she was like, no, you need to go because she was like, Hey, you're going to be with Ryan and Chris. You know, obviously this isn't easy for you. I'll have some time to, you know, mourn with family and close friends. And I know when you get back, you're going to be recentered. You know what I mean? And yeah, I, I just, I highly, recommend like I, i've we've told people i think chris ryan and i because uh, for a while like after ryan posted this video on youtube you know there were some people who'd be like oh man that just looks so fun and i'd be like seriously like get together two two of your close buddies or one of your close buddies and just go out and do a race together set a goal but if it doesn't go that way you know throw it out the window and just don't even worry about it. Just have a good time. The fact that we made the goal like was icing on the cake, but had yeah. we came in at 10 hours and been chasing cutoffs, like it still would have been an excellent weekend. And I just think that's one of those things. I hope people will try it because it, it was, it was so awesome on a variety of levels. And it's one of those weekends, like I cherish it. I, I don't think that it's something that could be recreated very easily. Yeah, I agree. I love that. Or part about Maher looking back at you and saying, how are you doing back there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. You can probably hear him saying it too. <laughs> when I did the, uh, when I did the double chub 50 K was my first, first and only ultra, but it was, a, it's four loops. Right. And, and I didn't train for it. I was dying. I was the last person to finish it. Anyway, after my third loop, I had to go out on one more, which meant another two and a half hours of running. And I was like about to throw in the towel. My sister was crewing me. If it wasn't for her, I probably would have quit, but it was also because before I went out on this fourth loop, Maher was there, you know, he's volunteering and I hadn't seen him really too much that day, but he was there to, to, to kind of coach me up. And, uh, you know, he's six, five single digit body fat. He's like his presence, you know what I'm like? And his look, dude, he, he looks just dead serious, you know, at this moment, not always, but in this moment, he was just looking at me like with this intense stare. And I knew he's done so many races before. So I'm like, this guy, I'm like, fuck. And he just looks at me and I'm like, dude, I don't know if I can do this. And he just goes, he looks at me, like looks down at me and he goes, let the trail dictate your pace, hike the climbs, flow in the flats 
and hammer the downhills. <laughs> and I was like, fuck, okay, I guess I'm going. The Oracle has spoken. <laughs> <laughs> so legit. I love that guy. Speaking of, of Maher, the Shippy 100K I would like to talk about because, Travis, you ran the race and took second place overall, which is stud, stud finish. And I believe, Chris, you paced that race, right? Yeah. Um, maybe you guys could talk me through a little bit of, uh, of that race because the Shippy is a local race here in, in Missouri, put on by Maher and some others, and it's a phenomenal race. Maybe you guys could just could just chat about that and, and that experience, running and pacing. Yeah. Um it was my first 100k and it the way they did it it was in august we happened to get really good weather that weekend like it was actually cold at night which is weird for st louis and i signed up for it because i at the time i thought i was going to do the ot 100 but i was kind of dealing with a little bit of injury issue going into it and so i didn't end up signing up for ot but i did want to see like okay i've done 50 miles you know what's next and so you know knowing ryan and knowing that it was easy set up for crew i was like this will kind of be a good one and so i think i had started the race chris got there and i had to do the first 40 miles overnight by myself a lot of people dropped so you weren't really seeing anybody and there were a lot of just solo miles grinding out at three in the morning you know pitch black darkness by yourself it's like okay if i can get to mile 40 and pick up a pacer and have chris to talk to for the last 17 to 20 miles of this race i'm gonna be okay like i know i can i know if i can just get to mile 40 so you know i kept saying that like okay as these miles were ticking by and it felt like slower and slower like hey i can just get to mile 40 so mile 40 came i think we started out in darkness it was maybe 3 30 in the morning but within yeah. hour and a half you know the sun was coming up and it, honestly, it was really nice because we hadn't hung out in a long time. So it was just, we caught up for three, yeah. three or four hours out there. It was a really, it was a really fun experience. Yeah. What was that like when you saw Chris and got that totally game changed feeling for you? Oh yeah. Yeah. At that point I was like, okay, I, I know I'm going to finish this. And, um, so one thing that was really cool was we, the guy at the time, I don't remember how far ahead of me Jason was, but Jason, Coleman was probably, I mean, he was, he was like 40 minutes ahead. I would say enough that I was like, I'm, you know, the guy in third place is far enough behind me. I'd have to pretty much drop to yeah. lose second place. But Jason was far enough ahead that I was like, I don't know. I probably can't catch him. I, I just, I don't know if I have it in me without killing myself. And then, you know, am I going to finish? So I think we were finishing the third or fourth leg. No third leg. And we came in and someone was like, yeah, Jason's, you know, you're, he's only got like six minutes on you. And so, I, you know, Chris was like, let's make one more push. And so we gave it, we gave it everything on that push. It was so impressive to watch you hammer like 55 miles in and all of a sudden he goes into this gear. I couldn't even keep up with him. This dude's been running for 55 miles. I've been running for 11 and then all of a sudden he just takes off. He has this different speed that I've never seen anyone have. And he's eight inches taller than me. So it's hard to keep up in the first place. I looked like a little brother chasing him, but it was, it was impressive to watch him try to track that guy down. Yeah. I mean, Travis, you seem like you got like some, something within you that, uh, you got a little bit of beast mode inside of you. I mean, I remember watching the effort that you and, and Ryan and some other people did trying to get that 106 miles and, Dude, just watching some of those videos, you look like you were totally gassed, but just like singular focus, just gutty, you know, gritty. Where does that, where does that come from? 
I, I don't know, man. I, honestly, the only thing I can think of to answer this question is my dog who's sitting right next to me. He's like, you know, a hundred pound does not look like a runner, but his pre arthritis days, he was a runner, but he was an ugly runner. You know, <laughs> he was the type like he, you know, if I was running 12 minute miles, he was back at 14, but he just kind of grind it out. Like if I, if we passed the car and I wasn't done, he was going to keep going. Like he was going to kill himself. So sometimes I, I think about that, you know, my other dog who's sitting right here, she's got like all the talent in the world, but she doesn't feel like doing it. She's not doing it. So I truly, sometimes when I'm going through like a hard spot, I'm like, okay, would my dog boss give up? And I really don't think he would. I think he would go out and try to do as much as he could until he couldn't. And he's, you know, 11 and has arthritis and is a hundred pounds. So sometimes I think about that. Yeah. Um, and, and the other thing that was, I would say was really cool about Chippy is we made the push and I, I can say, honestly, like I try to, you know, I think about like the old high school coach who's like, you leave it out all out there. And it was like, we made that push. Jason got a second wind at that point. I think when we came in for leg four, he was, you know, which there were five legs, so there was maybe two and a half miles left. He was up like 15 minutes. And so my wife finished the last two and a half miles for me. But it was like, there was, uh, to me, it was like, what? I have no shame in that. Like, I came in second place. I gave it everything. We made as hard of a push as I could have made 55 miles into a race. And, you know, it was like, I, I feel, I feel good about this effort, you know? And yeah. I think that's really important to me. Like you just, I don't know, you want to give 110% as corny as it sounds. Not an easy race either, right? From what I understand, I mean, the Shippies, no joke of a course, right? Yeah, yeah, it's it's tough. Um, I probably would stop at twenty miles. Like, there's a twenty mile option, and I'm I think I'm good for twenty miles from here on out on that course. Um, I don't know. I, I there were there were a couple of hundred mile finishers, and I mean, doing that loop five times, I, I, I don't know. I, I can't wrap my head around that. Chris, you've knocked out a couple ultras yourself. You got the Ozark Hills 50K, Double Chub 50K. When you're running these ultras, where do you go to when it starts to get hard? Yeah, I mean, I am definitely, Travis is, um, he's a much more talented runner than I am. I'm kind of flighty. I'm more of, I just kind of like to sign up for a whole bunch of random things and do them. Travis is a, is, is a really talented runner and it's, that's why I really like training with him because, you know, some of the th these things, I don't know if I would sign up for on my own. It's having the buddy there, but I have done a lot of hard other things, but when things for me, at least really start to suck, it's my choice to be there. I am making an active choice to go out there and figure out exactly what I'm capable of. I am very fortunate that I can get out and do these things, um, that I am capable mentally and physically of doing them, that I have a wife that allows me to go out and do that. And I feel as though if I don't do these things that I'm missing a lot of opportunities. You know, I was the ADHD student in school and I just have a lot of energy and I'm a very curious person and I want to find out in every aspect of fitness what I'm capable of, which is why I don't stick to one single thing. And Travis and I kind of have an agreement. If it's like, hey, let's do this, you don't say no. You sign up for it because I just want to find out what I'm capable of. I'm not, I'm not going to win anything. I'm not a specialist in trail running. I'm not a specialist in psych, um, 
mountain biking. I'm not going to win a CrossFit competition, but I have an absolute blast doing whatever it is. And it's again, by taking that chance, signing up for these things, you do dumb luck your way into some amazing experiences. And, you know, we both talk about this all the time. We constantly push this stuff on other people. We're big time pushers. Yeah. Because you don't know what you're capable of until you actually get out there. Is it going to hurt? Of course it is, but you know that and you're making that conscious choice. Um, and that's just what I find so exhilarating. Um, when I do get myself deep into a hole, that's the best part. That's when you learn, you learn exactly what you're capable of and you finish and you're like, okay, I know where that limit is. And now I know where I can push past that next limit. And it's taken a long time. It's taken a long time to get there and it takes a lot of different races. Um, it takes screwing things up. It takes horrible nutrition. It takes injuries. But at the end of the day, I think I'm just a much better person because of it. I'm a better friend. I'm a better husband. I'm a better teacher because I put myself into these ridiculous situations. Yeah. hundred percent. And, and, and Chris, you strike me and really Travis, you too, you guys are really kind of like almost more hybrid athletes, right? I mean, Chris, you're a big, strong dude. Like nobody would look at you and think, oh, this guy's a trail runner, right? I mean, you look more like a CrossFit physique, but you know, I think a lot of people think if you go do a bunch of cardio, you're just going to be kind of a skinny weakling. And Travis, same thing for you. You, you don't look like a skinny trail runner guy, right? You got some, you got some size to you. You know, how do you guys think about that? How do you guys blend that mix of, of strength training with cardio? And do you think it's a detriment? Do you think it, it serves you? It, it makes you stronger on the trails? Like, how do you think about that? Both of you guys can answer. We can start with you, Chris. Is how do you think about that blend of strength versus cardio and, and being more of a hybrid? It's um, definitely something that, you know, it's taken a, a lot of tweaking. I'm definitely a tinker when it comes to fitness. You know, I like to try a bunch of different things, you know, so I'll go with strength cycles mixed in with endurance training. If something needs to be tweaked, I'll tweak it. It keeps the training fresh for me. I thoroughly enjoy all aspects of training. I love to run. I love to bike, but I also do love to work out. Um, and I've also accepted in my mind that because I don't specialize in anything, I'm never going to be the best at everything. And it took me a while to get to this point, but I am okay with that. Nice. I am okay with being an average Joe, and I thoroughly enjoy going out and doing okay at all my races. <laughs> what about you, Travis? Is that something you consciously think about? Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it a lot, and there's kind of this, I think, misconception. Like, I know when we we kind of like we talked a little bit about doing the skippo on a whim after Ironman, but the reason we did it on a whim was we had just been doing like lifting nonstop, and it was like, let's, you know, I mean, not that the lifting wasn't fun, but like, let's go do this. And, um, there's kind of this misconception like, Oh, you, you guys are going to go run a half marathon. Like what about your gains? And it was like, <laughs> I mean, I, I can't tell you how many trainers at the gym legitimately, maybe they didn't say it word for word like that, but in all, they, put, they had bro at the end of the, yeah, the <laughs> yeah that's yes. probably the, and, and it was like, well, I mean, there's this idea, you know, they would say then in the same breath, like the best thing about training, like doing these functional trainings is, is that it prepares you for everything. It was like, well, wait a second, except a half marathon, you know? So, um, yeah, for me, I would say that I've gotten to the point now where I really enjoy being outside more. I don't, I do some, I do strength training generally, like after I'll finish a big race in the fall, you know, I'll take a couple of months to recover and I won't do very many miles on my bike or on my or run. 
then I'll do quite a bit of strength and I'll work out with Chris again. I still do like it, but I, I feel like that's what works best for my body. I hate the first week because my legs get so sore from squatting again and stuff. But yeah, I mean, I just, I don't know. I'm to the point where I prefer just riding my bike and running. And I think that if you're mixing up the way that you do it, you know, not just going out and kind of doing junk miles, but doing intervals and doing hills and doing some core work and stretching, your body's still going to retain some strength. You know, I mean, like it, your bo- you need to be strong to run up a big hill. Um, you need to be strong to bike up a hill. I think that there's a lot of guys who probably do CrossFit and could go out and run an ultra. They just, for whatever reason, it's like, you know, does not compute. And, um, (laughs) yeah, I I mean, Chris is a perfect example because he'll, he runs 20 miles a week getting ready for an ultra, um, which would be like in an ultra circle, that's completely taboo. And in a CrossFit circle, that's completely taboo because running 20 miles is too much. But the reality is, is he can go and perform in the top, you know, top 25, top 10% in both of those areas. And it's super impressive. When I got ready for my first 50K, I had just read Born to Run and I was like, I really like doing that trail race, but I was mainly doing CrossFit. I went out, the longest run I did was 10 miles at Castlewood. I was maybe running 20 miles a week and everything went great for like the first 27 miles and then it it teetered off real quick. But it was Mm -hmm. like, you just, then you learn. So it was like, well, do I... You know, do I want to perform better at a 50K or do I want to, you know, have a stronger lower body and upper body? And, you know, I kind of veered more to the right where I was like, no, I want to perform a little bit better in an ultra. So here's some things that I could tweak. But I just think so much of this stuff is just learning, you know, just learning about yourself and your limits. And it's funny as we're talking about Ironman, some of the mistakes that we made seven or eight years ago when we did that race are, are not even things that. I don't know. I wouldn't even consciously think about them. I would going into it. If we signed up for an Ironman tomorrow, you know, I wouldn't need to have like a hard nutrition plan. I just kind of know. And the only way you get to that point is by doing more and more efforts like that. Same thing, like Chris said, you know, he, he is a really strong biker. You know, one of the things we had talked about initially instead of the three-legged monster was doing the BT Epic, but the timing didn't work out quite right. I like mountain biking. I I do it from time to time as cross training, but I wouldn't call myself a strong mountain bike rider. Um, Like when we're going out riding, I'm asking him a lot of questions, trying to figure out how to do it. But had we done BT Epic, like, yeah, I I, actually, I can tell you for a fact, a 60 mile mountain bike ride, that would have totally kicked my ass. It would have been ugly. But that I would have done it because exactly. I would have you would have finished it. Yeah, I would have learned. I might have walked my bike for the last ten miles of it. I don't know, but I would have learned something from doing it, um, and it would have made me just a better athlete, a better person, and it would have been a really cool experience. You know, I think that's the other thing that gets kind of lost in doing this. It's it's not so much about the placement, and I think if you get super wrapped up in that, then it you know it starts to become not as fun. It's way more about. I got to go out. I got to hang out with some friends. Um, the outdoors community is is a super fun group. So, you know, you go to these races, you see the same people, the same weirdos who want to go out and do this stuff like Chris <laughs> and I, and you have a good time. You know, you hang out after the race, you meet some new people that you wouldn't normally meet. You know, I met a guy at a race in Kentucky and now we're doing a race together in Virginia. It's that experience part of it. And if you just go in saying, I want to have a good experience and I want to hang out with my friends in the woods it's going to, it's going to be great. You know, Chris, you're going to pick up on that. 
Oh, no, I agree with every single one. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was beautiful. I, I totally agree with you, man. I think one of the cool things about the way that you guys approach your training is that you, you're essentially making sure that you're able to do whatever comes up. I mean, Chris, you said that, you know, if Travis pings you and says, Hey, there's a race, you're like, all right, I'm in. And it, and it works both ways. So you guys are, it's less about like, okay, here's my four races this year and I'm going to plan for this. I'm going to win second, first place in this one. It's more like, I want to be in a position where I can do anything, you know? I mean, yeah. it, it, you guys are keeping yourself topped off uh, all year round. What, what kind of stuff are you guys doing in terms of just, body maintenance, recovery, staying healthy all year round so that you can make sure and do these things. I've gotten a lot better about it in the last few years. So when I was in Cleveland, I was actually a strength and conditioning coach for two years. And the beauty of that was I learned a lot about myself as well, because I was sitting there telling people to do stuff and they're like, dude, you can't even touch your toes. I'm like, Ooh, yeah, you got me. <laughs> so I, you know, I, I worked on a lot of mobility. Um, a big thing for me uh, just life in general and something that's really helped I've noticed with all aspects of life is a, a lot of time on breathing. That's been a huge game changer for me is um, working on my breath work, not only, you know, just sitting and meditating, but while exercising, breathing exercises, nasal breathing, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I noticed in the last year, by focusing on that, and it's uh, it's opened a whole new door um, to fitness that I didn't even know existed at 40 years old. It just kind of blew my mind. Something that when you're a 20 year old and, and you would tell them to work on their breathing, they would just kind of laugh at you and be like, "All right, I'm going to go do my next set of arms." <laughs> but, you know, as you get older with the training age, that's the beauty of this. It's like an onion; you peel back a new layer. The race is the gateway drug. You get out there, you meet the people, you have a good time, and then you start learning more and more and more about your body and how it works and, and what works for you. In order to keep doing all of this stuff, I have, have had to dial back a little bit of the intensity because I am getting a little older and focus a little bit more on body maintenance. So let's dig a little deeper into the breathing part of that. What are some, I know, I know, you, you know, you're obviously it would probably take hours to go through a, a seminar to really teach these practices, but what would be like just an example of, of something that maybe somebody listening to this could take and put into practice? So I am only a social studies teacher. I am pretty much a <laughs> dummy at everything else. And I don't want to do injustice to the science behind it. So I will just start with one thing that I use in order to make myself a better nasal breather. I bought this little $4 thing off of Amazon. It looks like a mouth guard. You stick it in your mouth and it closes your mouth. And I use it a lot of time. Um, I have a garage gym and I have an Airdyne in there and I will do intervals on the Airdyne with that thing in my mouth. So I'm only breathing through my nose and then I'll, t I'll do test workouts. How long, how hard can I go at a four minute interval? And then how long does it take for me to recover? Um, you know, things like that. And one thing that I think for me, age has done is I've kind of got my ego in check a little bit more because at first there will be a huge hit to performance because I wasn't breathing correctly for the longest time. Um, but then something clicked inside of me and I, and I noticed a huge difference. I was able to, to go a lot longer at a much easier pace. I recovered quickly, but again, I am not a scientist and I don't want to act like I actually know what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, fair enough. <laughs> no, but, but it, I'm glad you brought it up though, because I mean, you mentioned meditating too. And, and, and we tend to think of training as, 
you know, the Excel spreadsheet with your miles for the week on there, but there's so much more to it. Taking care of your mind, meditating, mindfulness, breath work, eating healthy, de-stressing, all these things I think are key to performance. I mean, Trav, you feel the same way? I mean, do you try to take more of a holistic approach these days? Yeah, I'm a, like a structured, unstructured person. If I have a training plan, I don't follow it. Um, <laughs> you know, it might be like a really nice Wednesday and Chris texts me and says, hey, you want to go for a bike ride? I don't want to be like, no, my training plan says I have to do this, this, and this today. And so I've completely gotten away from that. But I would also say I, there's no science behind anything that I do. Or if there is, I don't understand it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that one size fits all just it, it doesn't work. I'm, I mean, it might sound cliche, but I think we see it as teachers and it applies to just about everything. So, like, I kind of know, I guess, what I need to do to get ready for races, and I might look at like a monthly volume and be like, okay, I felt really good when I was doing this race and this is kind of what it looked like. So I just replicate it. But, you know, I do like an interval or harder workout once a week. I do a, like one or two easy ones. I do a, a longer workout and I, you know, I'll do some hills, whether it's like on my treadmill or Peloton or outside, just depending on the weather. But as far as recovery, um, I mean, for me, I think the bigger thing is, is stretching. Uh, I never realized how tight I was and how tight I got. And it's, it's a really stupid joke, but this guy in high school once, you know, was mouthing off to a coach and was like, well, if I never stretch, my legs can never get tight, <laughs> you know, cause they'll never, they've never been loose. <laughs> so they can't get tight. And, you know, yeah, <laughs> which that of all the things I've said, I think that's the most scientifically accurate. <laughs> it's science. Yeah. Total science. <laughs> but I think everybody thinks about, you know, you're in high school and you're, you know, doing whatever and you warm up and then you sit around in a circle and everybody's touching their toes and it's really boring. But as I started doing more things, kind of like what Chris said, you know, you bounce back really quick in your twenties. And then as you get a little bit older, it's just every year, it's like, it's not a profound difference, but it's a little bit different. Um, you feel a little more sore, you can't, you know, you need more rest or recovery or whatever it is. And so, um, for me, I started seeing this guy, um, and I know Chris has seen him too, named Dana Brait. He does like active release therapy massage. It's a really painful massage. And he just kind of said like, Hey man, you are really sore. And so he showed me some stretches, um, to hit certain areas. And I've really, I'm just diligent about that. That's my biggest recovery thing. Um, I stretch every night for probably about 30 or 40 minutes just while nice. we watch TV. I don't know if I could push myself the same way at this point in my 30s as I could if I was 21 or 22 without the stretching. That's a great point, man. What about you, Chris? Are you big in stretch mobility work? Um, I definitely go through phases where I'll get real into it. And I have really started using the sauna a lot. Man. I just love sitting in a sauna <laughs> yeah. for 30, 40 minutes. Again, might not be the healthiest thing, but it is, for me at least, it does wonders to sweat out everything just to sit in there. And I could do the hardest workout in the world, whether it's squat heavy or I could have run, you know, 20 miles a day before. But if I do a good 20, 30 minute sauna session, it's like the refresh button. Yeah. I think the saunas are amazing for, obviously there's probably some scientific benefit, you know, physiological benefit to them, but it's also, you know, I worked out at a gym that had a steam room at one point 
And I remember after, uh, you know, get off of work, get a workout in and then just sitting in that steam room because you don't bring your cell phone in there, obviously. And it was just like 20 minutes of nothing, you know, and hopefully nobody talks in there. You know, sometimes you get a talker in the steam room kind of ruins it. But there were some some moments in there where it's just like, man, just a deep breath, you know, and you do. You come out of there really feeling good. Take a shower and you're kind of on a different level coming out of the steam room or sauna room. I would second that one. Yeah, that one's really good. I've done baths a lot and actually I just, this popped into my brain as Chris was talking about the sauna, but baths for me help, you know, and it's easy cause I can just kind of do it real quick on a whim. You don't have to worry about finding the sauna in the steam room. But after Chris came in and did his first ultra double chub, Ryan and I ran that race. We didn't, it wasn't the one we all ran together. Um, but my wife bought us these really good bath bombs that I've been using. So, you know, nothing more masculine than like three dudes leaving an ultra with bath bombs. Actually, mine's still in my glove box. Oh, you definitely should use it. I'm not allowed to take baths at home anymore. This is 100% true. I flooded the bathroom last year and it leaked down into the uh, the dining room (laughs) and I had to re-drywall the ceiling. (laughs) I was in big trouble for that. So I'm not allowed to bathe in my house. How did that happen? How did did you flood it? That was your story. Okay. (laughs) When you're a little kid and you get water in there, you move back and forth. So it causes <laughs> waves in the bathtub. Just because I'm older doesn't mean I don't want to make waves in the bathtub. So I made waves in the bathtub and it leaked into the dining room. Yeah. So I'm not allowed God, to do that's that. Dude, I'm just picturing like splashing around, having fun. You got like toy boats in there. Going to <laughs> yes. That's awesome, man. When you were, when you were doing your strength and conditioning coaching, uh-huh. um, you, you, know, you mentioned you had to learn a lot to go through that. What do you think because a lot of ultra runners do like to do strength and conditioning and really any athlete can benefit from strength and conditioning. What do you think are like the biggest mistakes people make in weight training? A big thing is trying to put on too much volume too quickly, like wanting to, to skip over learning how to do the movements and getting right into putting heavy weights on the bar. Sometimes stereotypes are true and in a gym, a lot of times things are ego driven and it feels good you know, to hit those PRs. And sometimes people try to go a little bit too fast. It's just like we were when we started endurance running or uh, endurance events. You have to put in the time beforehand. You have to get the miles in first before, you know, you, you really start getting good at it. And I think in a, a gym setting, when it's ego-driven, when you're surrounded by your buddies, it was just slapping too much weight on the bar and not truly knowing how to how your body works and how you're supposed to do the movement. And that works for a time until that first time you pop your back. And then that's a tough lesson to learn, but you know, I saw it a lot. Um, fortunately I, I worked with, I worked at a phenomenal gym with some very smart, talented trainers. And you know, that's, we, we taught that a lot. A lot of it revolved around doing the movements correctly, coaching people how to do it correctly. And then you put the weight on. You know, just waiting a little bit, take, you know, waiting an extra little bit extra time for the two marshmallows instead of taking the one marshmallow right away. Um, And ultimately that's going to make you a stronger person. It's going to make you a better athlete. 
Yeah, it's good advice, man. You're, you're totally right. I mean, it, it, it's just tempting to try to load that bar up when you get into a gym situation. People are around. You don't want to be doing, you know. But you're 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 so right, man. It, it's way better to get that form down and get build that build that foundation. I still I mean, do it, Travis. How many times have I told you I can't do something because I pulled my back? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it and it's like longevity is the key. You know, I mean, you don't want to get too. I don't know, maybe too excited is not the right way to put it, but you don't want to go too crazy because, you know, you find something that you love and then it's like, well, sitting on the shelf because you're injured sucks. You know, nobody's like, oh, I want to get into this and I want to, you know, hurt my back or tear this or tear that. You know, you just want to get in there and you want to find something that's enjoyable, a great way to blow off some steam and be productive. And uh, that's the key is just learning how to do it and building up slowly and you know, having it be something that you can stick with, you know, forever. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's the long game. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I know we've talked about it. Like I, I don't know, I don't know how I'll feel in 40 years when I'm 73, but I certainly hope that I'm doing this stuff still, you know, that yeah. that's definitely my goal. Yeah. I have a feeling you guys are going to be two of those 80 year old guys in the <laughs> Ironmans, you know, <laughs> But uh, short shorts on, (laughs) you can do whatever you want when you're 80. Exactly. (laughs) What, uh, you know, what's what's next for you guys? Anything on the horizon? Any big adventures, races lined up? Where's uh, what's the rest of the year look for you guys for 2021? Um, so in three weeks, I'm going out to Virginia, um, and I'm doing a race called the Breaks Ultra, um with actually kind of funny enough, a guy that Chris went to high school with that we just all kind of reconnected, but, uh, we're going out there and it's a 45 mile ultra with like 11 or 12,000 feet of gain. And, um, stout. yeah, so I'm really excited. I, I don't know, maybe it's nerdy, but I think it's kind of cool. You start in Virginia. It's at one of two interstate parks. It's managed by Virginia and Kentucky. And you go over this mountain into Kentucky and then you go back over the mountain over to Virginia. Um, so nice. I think it's kind of cool. You get two States in one race and, um, I'm excited about that, but I'm really using it more as a long effort to get ready for the OT 100. So we talked a little bit about the 107 last year, which, you know, Ryan, uh, Jamie and another guy, Carrie Eldridge and I all did together. Carrie was the only one who finished and I felt really good, but I made a mistake and didn't change my shoes. So I had to stop at 83. My feet were all kinds of messed up and, um, I'd like to go back and be able to do a hundred miles on the OT. So that's really the big goal. And that's on Halloween weekend. Nice, man. That's, it's almost going to be better that you didn't fit it. You didn't hit the hundred because now this race is going to be so much more meaningful being your first time to hit that, that hundred mark. Yeah, totally. I, I mean, I'm really, really excited about it and it'll be nice to go back out there and, um, it, it'll be a race that has some meaning for a couple of different reasons. And, you know, I, it, I'm, I'm just hoping it goes well. I got to remember to change my shoes after Creek crossings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Nice, man. What about you, Chris? What do you got on the horizon? Well, my wife and I are about to have our first kid here in about three weeks. So don't really have anything planned for probably the next six months. Um, there is a, a 50 miler in outside of Cleveland that we actually signed up for and then COVID got canceled a year and a half ago or whatever. So I'm going to need something to train for. So I'm going to give myself a while to do that. Um, train maybe for, I can't remember exactly when it is about six or seven months to get ready for that. So, but I think I'm going to have my hands full here for the next yeah. <laughs> bit of time. So it's a good thing you didn't crash that bike on the three legged race. You wouldn't have been able to hold the baby. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> That's 
always going to be in your head. Every yeah, time from you're here on out, handle the baby if you're in the hospital. <laughs> awesome. That's great, man. Like you're ready for her to give you some, like, go get, you know, tear it up. Yeah. Get a, you're like, Inspiration? Hey, no. Hey, don't that's don't crash. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> nice, man. Well, I think that's pretty good, fellas. I've, I've, I've enjoyed this conversation quite a bit. Maybe we can, uh, Maybe we can just wrap by you guys giving some advice to, to maybe some people that are out there that are kind of wanting to, to get into some of these adventures that you guys are into that want to be living this type of lifestyle, but feel like it's so far removed from where they are right now, right? Maybe somebody that's been in a rut, hasn't trained in years. Like, what would you, what would you say to those people that kind of feel like maybe they can't do it or they're on the couch, they're on the fence? It sounds great, but aren't really ready to put it into practice, you know, as, as some kind of parting advice. Um, I, I would just say, find some things that you like. Uh, I think the, if you want to go out and do an ultra, but maybe right now running isn't your favorite thing, but for whatever reason, you're like, oh yeah, I totally want to do an ultra. If you love biking, you can probably do quite, I mean, Jim Walmsley just did it. You know, you can do a ton of biking and get ready for that ultra and then go out and put 30 miles in. Would it be the greatest performance of all time? Probably not, but that that shouldn't be the goal in the first place the goal should be get from point a to point b and have a good time so find some things that you enjoy doing and then slowly make a habit of it don't build too fast just focus on enjoying it one of the other things so after i did my second ultra it was a hard race at the time i had social media i don't have social media anymore and um I had posted, you know, just, Hey, this was the hardest race I'd done. And within a week, I think I was listening to a rich roll podcast. I, I really can't remember where, if it was something that someone told me, but, uh, it was like, don't say this is the hardest thing you ever did, you know, because that's relative. And so if you saw like a friend post about a race and you're like, man, I would really wish to do that. But they said it was so hard. Like, don't, don't get too wrapped up in that. Heart is relative, and I really think like anybody can do anything. You know, one of the cool things about ultra is unlike most foot racing, I mean, you're going to walk. Like, so, you know, go out and hike. If you love hiking, go out and hike. My my wife's boss, um, my wife does quite a bit of trail running too, and um, her boss just lost 100 pounds from hiking. And then now he's like, he kind of messaged her the other day and was like, yeah, I started doing some jogging on trails. And then she was like, well, hey, there's this 10K I'm going to do in September. You know, why don't you do that? And he was like, oh, I don't know. You know, I'm worried about going faster. This is, she's like, don't worry about it. We're going to go out. We're going to have a good time. And you're going to do 10K of running and walk and whatever it is, you know, but you're going to go out and have a good time and it's going to be a good experience. So just if you want to do something, I mean, just pull the trigger, get out and do it. You'll find a way to get yourself there. Just find the things that you enjoy to do in training and make it a habit. Don't build too fast. That's great advice, man. I think sometimes people in those situations too have the most to give because turmoil is fuel in the ultra world. You know, if you've been through some stuff, that's like, that's going to help you in your, in your performance. I love that, man. Chris, what about you? Find yourself a buddy, sign up for a race. That's it. You got somebody to hold you accountable. You got somebody to do it with. Um, you're going to have a good time no matter what you do. And when you put yourself in these situations, in these races, you are meeting like-minded people. You're going to find people that inspire you. You're going to find people that you know have the same interests as you. And you're just broadening your horizons. 
I think, you know, a lot of the time it is just that initial fear. You, you fear what you don't understand and it doesn't have to be an ultra that you sign up for. You know, Alpine shop does these amazing little 5k races, sign up for a 5k race, get out there with a buddy. You're going to hang out afterwards and you're going to meet a bunch of people and you will be inspired. There are people at these races that are extremely inspiring. They have all these different stories, all these different talents. And that's what brings people back over and over and over again. It's not necessarily, you know, your race time. It's everything we've talked about today. It's all those experiences and the people that you meet serendipitously, serendipitously on a trail that happen to be best friends with your best friend. It's yeah. just, yeah, by putting yourself out there, you're going to have these experiences. So, you know, pull a pin on the grenade and hold on. Love it. And one Love other it, thing to piggyback off what Chris just said, like when you're there, ask questions. I mean, so much of what I've learned, like every once in a while, yeah, I might go on Google and look at a training plan, maybe, oh, I should try this or try that. But like so much of what I've learned has just been talking to people I meet at races. You know, Chris has been a big mentor for me. Ryan's been a big mentor for me. When I have recovery and training questions, that's who I go to. I, I, I mean, somebody on Google doesn't know you the way that your friends do. So great point. bounce those questions that you have off other people. Like I just was talking to somebody at three legged monster, another one of our friends, Jake, and he gave me this great hill workout idea. I would have never thought of it on my own and I've never seen it on Google, but I'm like pretty jacked up to try it here pretty soon. And I love the vibe that you guys give off because it's more like, I almost feel like I'm back in college in a good way. Like uh, when I think about ultra, just do like, it. Do it <laughs> Peer pressure. Up again. Peer pressure. No, but it's like, you know, I, I kind of think of, tend to think of things competitively and like hanging out with you guys. It's like, you're all about, Hey, we're buddies. We're doing adventure. What's our next mission. We're here for each other. It's, it's, it seems really fun. You know, you guys are definitely having fun. You guys are not burning out. You guys aren't getting, you know, knock on wood, injuring yourselves in the pursuit of taking third place instead of fourth place. Like you guys are having a blast out there. It seems like, you know, that's, that's the vibe that I'm getting from you guys. And I think that's a great way to, to look at this stuff is it's all about like bringing more people in, you know, what type of adventures can we do? Um, it's a cool vibe, man. I, I, I dig it. Totally. Just kind of rope each other into doing whatever. <laughs> we adventure well. <laughs> yes, we definitely do. Nice. And it just so happens that Travis is pretty damn good at running too. So. <laughs> right. Well, fellas, I really appreciate it. I think, you know, we're an hour and 40 in. Wow. Really, really enjoyed listening to you guys' stories and, and, and learned a lot from both of you guys. So really appreciate you guys coming in, sharing, uh, sharing your insights. Any parting words before we uh, sign off here? No, man. Just thanks for this opportunity. Again, I, I'm I'm just an average Joe, so I never actually thought I'd be doing this. <laughs> yeah, we talked about that. Like, I didn't think we would ever really do a podcast, but if there's anything anyone takes away from it, I hope it's just like, if you want to go out and do something, just go do it and figure out the details along the way. Yeah, I think you guys are far from average. I think you guys are selling yourself short, but I appreciate the humbleness and I uh, can't wait to see what you guys get up to next. Thanks, man. Appreciate Thanks. it. Yeah, thank All you. All right, fellas. Appreciate it. Boom. That's our show for today. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Thank you again to my guests, Travis Nissenbaum and Chris Stein. Fellas, appreciate it. We'll see you out there on the trail sometime soon. Coalition. This song is called Bygone by Volcano Choir. Hope you guys enjoy it. Until next time, live life on your own terms, stay frosty, and we'll see you out there. Peace.
dead by gone Laying near the lights Of the nights of the northern lodges There's a border road No one slip slides or stopping And the neighborly Sleeping in a coffin With enough keep Someone took a rat trap out to the aching. We were drinking all the ways to down. Door is wide open. You know what we're saying about us now. He's a legend. I'm a legend. And we both go. Tripping through the door. Well, you know that we are northern now. Heard you promise me at the north end of monogamy. Cut that from Philly Lee. Somewhere I heard you scream. 